0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, a week, next week, we begin Lent. And it's good for us, I think, the Lord, in your presence, to pray about that. and To go in ready, so that it doesn't come upon us unprepared. What would a good Lent look like? What does it mean? And I think we want to shoot high. I think the um, the biggest opportunity in Lent is really an opportunity for conversion. We know it's a season of penance. We will see in the Gospel, in the first days of Lent, our Lord begin his public preaching. And he begins his public preaching saying, Repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And the Greek word there is very rich and instructive. He says metanoiate, repent. Metanoiate. It's a command and it comes from the word metanoia which Saint Jerome translates as conversio, which from which we get conversion. And they both imply a big change. The etymology of metanoia is two words, meta, which means beyond, it's a prefix, and nous, which means mind. And so in the language of of the New Testament, repentance isn't just sorrow for sin or turning away from sin, it's conversion, it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's to think in a new way, it's to feel even in a new way. It's a radical new way of being. And what is that? Well, it's to have the mind of Christ, or it's to have the mind and heart of Christ. And that's not easy, because the world has its way of thinking. The scripture calls it the prudence of the flesh, or worldly wisdom. We kind of have a worldly way of evaluating things and judging things and thinking about life and issues of life. And so when Jesus says metanoiate, he's basically saying, think in a new way, and so you can be in a new way and have a new mind. And this is really at the heart of our Lord's preaching. If we look, for example, at the Sermon on the Mount... Our Lord starts with the Beatitudes. In the Gospel of Matthew, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you, And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are all examples of having a new mind. Why? Because the word there blessed is it comes from well, it's translation of makarios in Greek. And makarios means blessed, it means favored, but it was in in the worldly language, it was the successful. Right? The makarios is the person who has it all. It's like our billionaires, right? Or our celebrities. Someone who has it all. Like, I don't know, Rihanna or you know, one of these people. Right? Successful, famous, rich healthy, beautiful makarios, blessed. And Jesus is saying true blessedness is not having what the world thinks you need to have to be successful, right, to have it all. But it's to lack many of the things that the world counts as as blessedness or as a successful life. Blessed are the poor, and in another synoptic, he just says the poor. Here he says the poor in spirit. Those who lack riches, or at least are detached from riches. Blessed are those who mourn, who aren't always joyful, who care enough to be sad when bad things happen to others. Blessed are the meek, those who forego vengeance, right, who have their anger under control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right, those who care enough to actually do something about the situation of the world, and not that they're successful at it, right, but they have to do something. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, right, those who are ready to forgive and not to be vengeful or spiteful. Blessed are the pure in heart, right, those who are detached from the pleasures of the flesh, which. In our day and age, as Malcolm Muggridge called it, it's the new mysticism. When there's no God, pleasure becomes a God. Religion. It's diabolical. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We think so much about our reputation, what people think about us and our status. And Jesus says, no, you're really blessed when people don't like you. And especially when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Right, these are all examples of a new mind. Conversion, a change of mind. A total radical redoing of our value system. And so Lent, it would be something like this, to try to find out where we don't see things and where we don't value things and where our criteria is not God's criteria, right? to fix that, to find mortifications and uh, ways of praying that help us really to convert, right, turn away from sin and selfishness and worldliness, to be more godly, to be more Christ-like. We can focus on one. I think it's a good one for our day and age. The first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want God, you have to want things less. To possess God, you have to be detached from all your other possessions. Our Lord says this. Um, We'll get into it later, but... You cannot serve God and Mammon. You cannot have two masters. In the Old Testament, the relationship of the holy people with God is kind of a mutual possession. Right? This happens in many different passages in the Old Testament. But we can pick one from the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Right, that you'll be successful, that you'll be blessed, makarios. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Right, so that you know, God is theirs, right, and 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 they are His. Right, God is theirs, and they are His. It's a mutual possession. But that you know that comes with uh, conditions, and the condition is the law. And so we read in the first commandment of the Decalogue, the first commandment is this, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. And the great commandment quoted by Jesus, the Shema, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Right. So to have God, as Jesus puts it, to possess the kingdom of God, demands detachment from everything else, right? Detachment from everything else. God is, he comes with handling instructions, right? It's like you get medicine or food or something perishable, and it says, you know, keep in a cool, dry place or keep out of the reach of children. Or I saw in a Febreze bottle the other day, right? Don't leave in your car. Content's under pressure. That would be impressive to have a Febreze bottle explode in your car, but anyway. Right. And so the possession of God comes with these instructions, right? You have to keep God in first place, absolute first place. And that takes detachment. Right. It takes poverty. It takes poverty of spirit. And this is not easy because, because in the, um, in the prudence of the flesh, in the wisdom of the world, right, money is a God you shall have no false gods before me. And St. Paul says it, right? No immoral man will enter the kingdom of God, nor a covetous one, which is idolatry. And so people get so worked up about impurity, which is, they should, right? He says no moral or impure man will enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, and neither will a covetous one. Right? Someone who's attached to stuff, to riches, to money. This is St. John Henry Newman quoted in the Catechism. All bow down before wealth. Wealth is that to which the multitude of men pay an instinctive homage. They measure happiness by wealth, and by wealth they measure respectability. It is a homage resulting from a profound faith that with wealth he may do all things. Wealth is one idol of the day, and notoriety is a second. Notoriety, or the making of a noise in the world, right, being a someone, a big shot. It may be called newspaper fame. Now it's called going viral. Notoriety, or the making of a noise in the world, has come to be considered a great good in itself and a ground of veneration. St. John Henry Newman writing in the 19th century, our Lord preaching in the 1st century. Nothing is new under the sun. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so this might be a, a, a point of of metanoia, right? Of conversion. Right? Am I too concerned with things or my financial security or you know how I'm doing in in my career? You know, those things are good, but have they become idols? Am I attached to them? And how do we know if we're attached to them? Well, how much we think about them, how much they motivate us, how much we worry about them? And this passage is incredible. This is from Matthew 6. Right? Matthew 6, verse 24, ends with, you cannot serve God and mammon. And then the next line is, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. And so he moves from Don't have mammon. Don't have money as your God, which, which, among other things, means don't rely on money for your security or for your happiness. Instead, have God as your God. He moves from that, right? Choose God over mammon to, therefore, don't worry. Because it's more secure to put your hope in God. It's more secure. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, but the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. And so I think it's safe to say, right, that if we worry too much about money or things or our reputation, if we're anxious about it, that it's become a kind of idol, right? As St. Paul says, you know, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so, Lord, we ask you, help us to look into our hearts, right? What am I attached to? Do I give enough money away? Am I generous with uh, with my finances? Maybe I'm attached to little, little creature comforts, and right? not necessarily the big financial picture, which maybe is sound and secure. Um, but I'm really attached to, you know, that Starbucks coffee in the morning, and it's got to be you know, with that little caramel glaze on top and this barista at this place makes it better, so I make sure I always go there, right? We can kind of like get attached to any little stupid thing. Lord, what is it? Therefore, do not be anxious. You cannot serve God and mammon. And if we think about it, right, anything that's not God, if we put our hope in it, It's a, it's, it's an anxiety producing reality. Why? Because only God is immutable. Only God is eternal. Only God is not going anywhere. Everything else can be taken from us. And so you could be super rich. You know, you might be, you might be Bill Gates, right? But if the Chinese take over, uh, you know, your money's going to be worth nothing, or if the aliens start shooting us from those globes, um, you know, you'll be dead, right? And so people who are super rich, they worry about their money, they need to make more, right? It's never enough. And this is true of everything that's not God. It's never enough. And it can all be taken away. Because it's all worldly, right? It's not. It's not God. It's not eternal. And so, St. Teresa of Avila says, he who has God lacks nothing, and God alone suffices. And St. Thomas Aquinas says, God alone satisfies. And our Lord says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be yours as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They have what what lasts and what satisfies. They're truly fulfilled, right? They're truly successful. And so we look and we ask ourselves, Lord, how can I be more detached? What do I need to detach myself from? Where, Lord, have I made something an idol? Because I want your heart and I want your mind, but I, I don't want to have the prudence of the flesh. I don't want to have the wisdom of the worldly. And all the Beatitudes, if we think about it, right, they're all examples of, of detachment. Poor in spirit, detached from stuff. Blessed are those who mourn, detached from our good mood, right, or our physical or emotional joy, right, ready to suffer because we care. Right, meek, detached from fighting back or imposing our will. Hunger, thirsting for righteousness, right, detached from our comfort, which leads us to be complacent and not care about what's happening in the world. Right, how much have I prayed for the victims of the earthquake and the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey? Right? It was just kind of like out of sight, out of mind. How much do I pray, right, for victims of? human trafficking and you know drug trade i mean and you or the war in in ukraine and do we hunger and thirst for righteousness we at least pray for these things and why don't we do that well because lord i'm so concerned about oh my yeah my job and this deadline and, and the credit card bill and the tuition, and yeah, okay, fine, those are things we have to take care of, but do they consume us so that we really don't, you know, these other things that are happening that to our brothers and sisters who are Christians or just our fellow humans, right, they don't, they don't find any echo in our heart. Blessed are the merciful, right, detached from the damage that others do to us, detached from the offense that others cause in us. Blessed are the pure in heart, detached from sensual pleasure, from sin. Blessed are the peacemakers, again, detached from our comfort, or our indifference. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. Right? Detached from our reputation and our physical well-being for love of God. Right? All these are, you know, these are not natural these are, hard to, these are hard to obtain. They're, they're metanoia, right? They're having a new mind. And this is the gospel, right? And this is, this is what we're called to as Christians. This is what we have to shoot for. And that's going to take some work, and, that, and therefore we have Lent. The um, word Lent comes from an old English word, which means hard. Just kidding, I just made that up. Um, it actually means to lengthen, apparently, because it's the time of year with the with a, day, days are getting getting longer again. Um, but it should be hard, right? It shouldn't just be oh, well, yeah, every year I give up. I don't know some stupid thing that doesn't really matter, and you're kind of proud of yourself that you gave up, you know, whatever Netflix for uh, forty days or. YouTube for 40 days. Don't get me wrong, I think those are great. Anything that creates a kind of silence, a void in our heart, in our mind, which we're constantly filling up with stuff of different sorts, Right? what is entertainment? It's just it's another form of stuff. And we're afraid of silence, we're afraid of facing God, we're afraid of being empty inside because we don't know what to do with ourselves. We're f- facing the truth about ourselves. And so we're constantly turning on this and turning on that and looking at this and scrolling through that. And, you know, how are you going to meet God? And so I think those, those are very important, but, but we have to view, they have to be hard enough to actually create that void where we're forced to pray and, and meet God and face God. The Psalms say, right, be still and know that I am God. I don't know what the Hebrew word is, but, um, Saint Jerome translates it as vacate. Right? Vacate. And know that I am God. Be still. It's, it's vacate. Right? It's empty out and know that I am God. And so this detachment, right, from not just the things, but the worry about the things and not just the practice of watching something but what that causes in our soul if it's not hard enough right, if it's not a real sacrifice well it's not going to work because it doesn't change your state of mind you're still just as distracted and just as uh, activist and just as in your own little world and you know your own world of concerns where god can't reach you because there's there's not enough room can't reach me I'm just, just as bad as anyone else here at all this stuff. So what, you know, what are you giving up for that? Give up everything. As much as you can. Especially the things that like, you know, cause you to have this distracted mind where you can't focus on God. You can't hear God who speaks in a still small voice. Give up whatever you need to give up to Convert, right, to have a new mind. To give yourself a chance, give myself a chance to have a new mind. Vakate, be still, clear out, and know that I am God. And this is something that's joyful. It doesn't sound joyful right now. (laughs) It's kind of a harangue. (laughs) But it's joyful, right, because blessed are you because this is how we meet God, right, and this is how we become God. We become like Christ. By, by doing the work it takes to change our mind. And that's hard because right? we're used to our mind and our mind is comfortable and our mind works and, and the principles of the world work according to the principles of the world. And so this is like, you know, it's like a radical surgery. And that's hard and that's why it takes, that's why it's long, right, lengthen. We have to lengthen the time. We go to our lady and we ask her, for this conversion, give us the mind of your son. Help us to be detached, de- detached from things so we don't serve mammon, we serve God instead. And detached from all that keeps us from filling our heart and our mind with God this Lent. Our Lady, Our Mother, Queen, Queen of Lent, Queen of the Church, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father, and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.